If not, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm number 67. Psalm 67. I promise this is not coffee. This is water. Those of you who know my relationship with coffee would know that I couldn't drink coffee that smoothly anyway. That's another conversation for another day. Psalm 67. I do want to read one verse prior to starting here in Psalm 67. Probably a familiar verse to some. Uh, it's found in 1 Peter, the first chapter in the 8th verse, in which it says, Whom having not seen you love, and whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. With joy unspeakable and full of glory. That term there, full of glory, is probably... Uh, just as fair to translate that as joy unspeakable and glorified. It is describing the nature of that joy, that it is a joy that is ornate, a joy that is decorated, a joy that is set apart and established, and one that is looked at as a beautiful joy, as a joy that is to be celebrated, a joy that is so rich and so great that it is inexpressible. The magnitude of that joy, a joy that looks to Jesus as its source. Didn't you see? Is that whom having not seen, but you love, and whom now having now seen him not, yet believing, as a result of our love and our trust and our belief in Jesus, it causes in us a joy to bubble up and to pour out of us that is in inexpressible, unspeakable, yet glorified in its nature that it might be celebrated and recognized as something that distinguishes us as a hallmark of Christianity, as a mark of the Christian who is identified by a joy that is left without expression, a joy that is just simply unfamiliar and uncommon in society. That's a pretty cool joy, isn't it? I have had several instances over the last several weeks that uh, have impacted my heart as I've considered the contrast of our current culture with this joy that is found in the Lord. And I don't, I don't mind sharing those with you. One of those was a couple weeks ago, or about, about a month ago now actually, we took my daughter to a, a concert for her birthday, and um, it was a, a contemporary Christian concert, and uh, one of the acts there was actually an act that her and I had saw previously. Uh, we, we the kingdom, some of you probably heard of them. And uh, I'll be honest, that at, at first I wasn't a huge fan. Uh, uh, we the kingdom wasn't a huge fan of what I saw the, the first time uh, Lila and I went to their concert. And I sat through the first uh, 15 minutes or so of that. And uh, I just wasn't a big fan of it. It was uncomfortable to me. It didn't meet my preferences and uh, my expectations. And uh, so first I was a little standoffish uh, to, to what I was seeing. And, and you can think what you want. Some of you are probably familiar with their music and some of you might like them and hey, don't like that style of music. That's, that's not the point that I'm trying to express here. But uh, after a while, once I worked past uh, sort of my own uh, prejudices with regards to, to what I was thinking about, what I ultimately saw in them was a people that seemed to have genuine joy in singing and worshiping the Lord. 
a joy that was uh, untethered, a joy that was without uh, a remark for, for how others might think about them, but a joy that was pure and unadulterated and expressed wholly and completely to the Lord. And I, I saw that, and I didn't, this was back in August, I didn't quite know how to come to grips with that until this most recent time, when about a month ago, my wife was with us, and she began to express the same thing. She said, man, that lead singer of this group, she was kind of a mess. And you watch her, and she kind of is. But she is singing with such a joy in her heart, and, 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 and she's just a mess in how she's doing it, but she's not worried about an audience that might see her, but she's worried about one who might see her instead. How might our worship change if we were mindful of an audience of one rather than the audience of many? Wouldn't our worship change? That's what I began to see in realizing this. I took a step back and again saw through my own prejudices and biases and preferences and began to see just people who joyfully worship the Lord. And it moved me. And still, I was trying to work through some of that. And another instance happened this week. My wife and I went and saw a movie this week. And I'm not going to name the movie because I can't quite endorse it or recommend it to you. But one thing that was striking to me in that was how it was able to depict people and how people everywhere are searching. They're searching for something. And it seems that though people are searching for peace and they're searching for healing and for rest and for comfort and for community and for belonging and for the, the joy that I'm talking about, it seems that they can't find it. And this has been true across all generations. If you just uh, look back throughout history and you look at the different generations, you will always find groups of people who are searching. And as you see these groups of people who are searching, you'll see how they come up empty. You used to hear about uh, drugs and alcohol and uh, promiscuous behavior and all these things that people were using and, and filling their hearts for the things they were searching for. And different generations looked at those things and, and they, they would shun them and, and, and uh, rebuke them and, and these sorts of things regarding their sinfulness. And, and indeed, they are sinful but what's interesting is that if you look at the data of today, you would actually see amongst young people that drug use and alcohol use and promiscuous behavior is actually significantly down over prior generations. Did you know that? that was, that's eye-opening to me. That younger generations aren't using drugs or abusing alcohol and these sorts of things like previous generations did. There's actually less use of that today. Now, typically, we would rejoice in that and say, well, what a good thing. That, that that's not being uh, used as frequently as it was previously. And indeed, that is a good thing. But what we would find, especially amongst the younger generation, is still a generation who is searching. And previously, when they would turn to uh, these substances and these behaviors to try to fill what they were searching for, they are now filling that desire and that emptiness that they are searching for something else. And actually, what I, if you take a step back and you look at this, you'll find the one common theme throughout every generation of what people are searching for. It's belonging. It's an identity with a tribe. It's a place to, to have community, to have fellowship. 
Those who, 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 who became addicted to drugs, it was always around people that were of a common nature and bend towards that, wasn't it? And they'd find community in those places. And today, what do we see? If you look back, you'll see how uh, the, the uh, percentage of people identifying as LGBT and all these sorts of things. And if I'm honest, we as Christians, we have a hard time understanding it and, and seeing the grips of it and what's happening. But if you look at how the percentages have raised and you compare that to how the percentages of who have uh, abused alcohol and drugs and the promiscuous behavior that we think about and how those have fallen, what you'll see is that what was previously these behaviors to fill something that people were searching for has been replaced with this desire for longing and, and for a tribe to belong to and for a community and meanwhile, our tendency as it was in the 70s that continues even to, to today is to shun and to rebuke and to reject rather than proclaiming that we have a gospel that remains the answer to all who search. All who search for belonging, all who search for an identity, all who search for a community, all who search for something to fill what is currently an emptiness in their hearts, we have the answer that is pure and lasting and not one that is temporary that has to be substituted with something else somewhere down the line. And so I'm calling our attention today. I'm going to call our attention to Julie here in a minute. You might say, Derek, you started off in a place where I didn't expect you to get here. But the point that I'm trying to make is that we see around us another generation that is searching. And we have this tendency to shun and to rebuke because we see the sin. And we know the sin. And we know that it is, it is, is gross sin before the throne of God. But where is the message of hope? Where is the message that there is a place to find pure joy? Because it's very easy for us instead to fall into the same thing of, of having a tribe where it becomes an adversarial thing between us and our tribe and them and that tribe. And you see this. And our adversary is having a field day and setting up this division amongst the world today. Because if Christians can take on the attitude of rebuke and of shun, rather than the attitude of bringing the gospel to those whose hearts have been darkened, whose minds have been perverted, whose hearts and their attitudes have been taken so far away that they themselves are in a state of loneliness and depression and anxiety and they're looking for help in all the wrong places and meanwhile we're so busy rejecting them that they can't hear us when we say we have the hope. There is a lost world who is searching. And we have the hope that Brother Corey talked about earlier that they're searching for. And instead, these tribes develop and they become conflicted with each other such that our message gets drowned out. And they can't see the joy. They can't see the peace. They can't see the kindness or the mercy or the self-control. They can't see the faithfulness, the patience, the goodness 
within us. What did I just name? I'll, I'll, I'll name them again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are those nine fruits of the Spirit that Paul identifies in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. There's something interesting about this fruit. Have you ever seen an apple tree eat an apple? You can laugh at that. It's funny to think about, isn't it? Apple trees don't eat apples. Orange trees don't eat oranges. And banana trees don't eat bananas. And I don't even know if bananas grow on trees or bushes or what. But you get the point. Fruit is always meant to be consumed by someone else. Our fruit of the Spirit is meant and it is purpose that others would see it, that they would consume it, and that it would lift their hearts up to the Lord. I think sometimes we think of this fruit of the Spirit as something for us to gather for ourselves rather than something for the world to see in us that would magnify and exalt the name of Christ. So we're going to focus in on joy today when we get to it here in a second. But all of these fruits of the spirits are things that others should see in us and consume from us and see and, and, and desire to have as a result of those things rather than, you know what you didn't see in that fruit of the spirit? You didn't see rejection or, or shun. You didn't see in that list of, of something that would be of a, a, a skepticism or something that would be where we would be of, of a judgment or those things but instead of a love and a joy and a peace and a patience and a gentleness and a goodness and a, and a kindness and a self-control that we would possess and have. Now some of you are saying, well, Derek, you are starting to make me a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe that's good. That we'd be a little bit uncomfortable when we think about these things. Hear me well. This is not in any way an endorsement of any sin. And if that's how you're taking it, I think it's probably evidence of, of how we typically think about these things. But the proper rebuke of sin for the sinner is to point them to the Gospel of Jesus. Did you hear me? The proper rebuke of the sin for the sinner is to point them to the Gospel of Jesus. Why? Because when their wickedness and their sinfulness is compared to the righteousness of Jesus, they will see how far separate they are by their sins. Instead, when we try to compare them to ourselves or compare them to what we think they should be, what begins to happen is that we place our desires to the hearts of what we're preaching rather than the Gospel. You see that? So we want to see a, a, a world... See a generation that would rise up to meet our preferences, meet what we're comfortable with, meet what we think they should be, rather than pointing them to Christ. Our desire should be to be more like Jesus, right? So then should our hope and our desire to be for all the world. That they too would not be more like us. Listen, y'all don't need to be like me. Man, if y'all knew half the things I struggle with, you wouldn't want to know part of me. 
I'm like Paul when he told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's Him that we're seeking after. It's Him that we're following after. Yes, I want to follow Him so closely that, that there's behaviors and there's uh, attitudes, there's a mind of Christ that has apprehended me that, I, that others can model after because it's the same mind that is in Christ Jesus. But let us be careful to note that it is that we would have the mind of Christ Jesus, not that others would have the mind of Derek. You see the difference here? So what about this joy then? What am I getting to in all this? Let's read here in Psalm number 67. Psalm number 67. Just seven verses. Won't take but a moment for us to read it. It says, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. Selah. That the way, that thy way, excuse me, may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise Thee, O God. Let all the people praise Thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For Thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the people praise Thee, O God. Let all the people praise Thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear Him. And we'll stop at the conclusion of Psalm number 67. What a beautiful psalm. And we could speak about it for hours uncovering the depths of what we see spoken of here by the psalmist. And, and I will endeavor to be very brief, but there are a, a few things I want to note here from this psalm, from this song. In fact, this is one of those psalms that if you read the inscription at the top of it, it tells us it's a song that is to be played on string instruments. <clears throat> so y'all just go ahead and picture you a, a guy with a guitar at the coffee shop, right? One of those fellas playing the guitar and singing this song of praise. Listen to how bold the psalm starts. He says, God, be merciful to us and bless us. That's a bold prayer, isn't it? To pray unto God to bless us. We who are undeserving... We who by our own regard, our own righteousness, God should have no fellowship with us at all. Yet here we see the psalmist bowed and praying and singing in his prayer, desiring for God to bless us. What a bold thing to pray for God's blessing upon us. Yet he does. And he prays, God, bless us and be merciful unto us. But we're going to see the nature of this prayer for God's mercy and for God's blessing in the following line where he says, And cause thine thy face, cause his face to shine upon us. You see, the psalmist wasn't desiring God's blessing for his wishes, for his desires, but instead that God's face would shine upon them, that they would know his presence, that God would beget to them as he desires. 
How many of us, we pray and we ask for the blessing of God, but we ask for the blessing of God upon our desires? Y'all guilty of that like I am? The prayer here continues though and says that His face would shine upon us. That we would stand in His presence. That we would stand as He would look upon us. And that that mercy and that, that blessing would not be bestowed upon us as by a, a, a genie who would grant us wishes, but instead as one as a loving Father who would provide for us and care for us and have mercy upon us as He looks to us. I want to talk about that for a second. Have you ever seen a child when they accomplish something? When they accomplish something, they learn to do something for the first time, what is their immediate response? Almost with, without failure. Is they look to their parent. They look at them with that face of excitement upon them. They've accomplished something and they want the assurance and the, the, the congratulations. They, they want to see that their parent is pleased by what they've accomplished. Teach Lila to ride a bike. Teach Lila to tie her shoes. Teach Maverick to shoot his bow. Teach Ellie, well, much of anything. She's got a long way to go. But any of these things that we see in, in teaching and instructing our children, what I have found every time is that when they have accomplished it, they look up at me with that face of joy in their eyes and this excitement of what they've done, but they're wanting to see it matched in me. My children keep me honest in this, and I'm glad that they do. Maverick, this past year, he wrestled for the first time. And I would take him to practice. And if you've ever sat through one of those practices, it becomes a little monotonous sometimes. We're doing the same drill over and over. And um, it's easy as a parent, especially with technology and things. I want to check out something or multitask like I would do at work or all these things. And then my son would come out and he would say, you missed it. I did this, but you were looking at your phone. And when he says those things, it's like a knife through my heart. <laughs> Why? Because I missed seeing the joy in him for what he accomplished. And he missed seeing the assurance of his father when I neglected him in that. You see the nature of this prayer a little better now? When he says, cause his face to shine upon us as one who would see his children and see us in our accomplishments, see us in our desires, see us in our needs, see us in our desperation, see us when we are without hope, seeing us when we're at our lowest, as He sees us when we're at our highest, and every time having His face turned to us with a heart and a mind to bless us and comfort us and to be merciful to us. You see the nature of the psalmist's prayer? So he prays, God, bless us and be merciful to us and cause his face to shine upon us. Why? That thy way may be known upon earth, that thy saving health, that thy salvation may be known among all nations. Listen to verse 3. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon earth. Selah. That the psalmist turns his prayer not just towards those who are in Israel. Not as we would take that and apply it today to the church. But that it would be towards all people groups on earth. Towards all people. That all people might praise the Lord. Now, I want you to think about that prayer in the setting of time 
in which we see the psalmist recording it. The Gentiles at this point were afar off. There was a separation from them. Israel was, was this nation favored by God and they would have these disputes with people. And We see all these things where, where and typically we look to this and we say, well, this is a prayer only for Israel. But, but listen, when, when the psalmist here writes, let all the people, let all the nations... I don't believe there's some allegory here that this is to be interpreted only in some, uh, some limited fashion. When he says, let all the people praise thee, let all the people praise thee, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, I believe this is a prayer for all people and for all nations. And that we likewise would share in this heart of desire for the praise of God to be on the lips of all people everywhere. Now, when we think about that, we consider then this beginning prayer where he says, God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. We see the intent in verse 2 when he says that thy way may be known upon earth and his salvation among all nations. The desire for praise, the desire that all nations would be glad and rejoice would be that the nature of God would be revealed unto all people. And there, I'll, 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 very quickly, we're just going to skin the surface of this here. But what we would see in the distance is the Gentiles being grafted in to the promise of God. And we would see this opening to all people everywhere that all the nations might be saved. And the psalmist seems to look ahead to what we read about in the New Testament. Again, we're just going to skim the surface of that. We might speak upon it just a, a, a bit more briefly in a moment. But the point that I'm, I'm trying to, to emphasize is that the nature of our desire for the praise of the Lord is that all people, that all nations would join us in this praise. And I want you to think for a second about what we were able to see last week when Brother Jeff was here and he showed us the slideshow of what was going on in Pakistan. And if you're like me, when you see those things, it stirs your heart and it stirs your mind. And uh, it stayed on my heart and my mind throughout this week in different ways and, and for different reasons. But one thing that really struck me was what, what Brother Jeff said not to do. I don't know if you caught it or not. But you know, there have been a lot of mission trips have been taken down to Jamaica, a lot of mission trips down to Belize, lots of mission trips over to Ghana, to Kenya, to different parts of the world. But I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but did you hear Brother Jeff say not to go to Pakistan? Because of the danger there? Because of how it's life-threatening there? Given the situation with their government and, 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 and Islam and all those sorts of things? Seeing the contrast of that was eye-opening to me. Because normally when I talk to our brothers and sisters in these different places, what I always get is an invitation to come. Brother Derek, come to Africa. Brother Derek, come to Belize. Come and see these things that are going on. We want you to come and see and be a part and help us. Yet here was a missionary not with a plea to come, but a plea to pray. And that opened my eyes to realize of the depths of the, of the need there and the depths of, of, of just what's going on and how these people are being persecuted and how they're uh, reviled in their country. Yet still the desire of our hearts must be that all people would praise Thee. That all the nations would be glad 
and sing for joy. You see where I'm getting to now with the joy? Joy is not reserved just to be felt in private settings and private moments. Though, listen, there have been times where I've been made to just be left speechless in my own prayer closet with the Lord as I have just felt the unspeakable joy of of knowing Him rest upon me. But I've also been in settings like this one where that expectation, the expression of joy comes and sets upon a crowd like this one and we all taste of it and we share in it. And it's almost, have you ever been in those moments where it's almost like suddenly we're, 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 we're back to being school children who get the giggles? You ever been in those settings? When's the last time you started laughing to the point you couldn't stop? I'm not talking just about a spiritual thing now, just in general. The last time you, you got so tickled at something, you couldn't stop laughing. You know what I have realized as I've gotten older? That happened a lot more frequently when I was young than it has as I've gotten older. Why? Because children have less weights and concerns in the world, don't they? And because they have less weight and concerns, they find joy to be near much more often, and sometimes they just get the giggles. It's kind of funny when we see them get the giggles, isn't it? (laughs) Sometimes we even start laughing with them. Why? Because suddenly that joy gets to be a little bit contagious. And suddenly what we were worried about before, that worry is removed from us and we jump in with that joy. I need to walk a line here a little bit. Y'all bear with me for a second. The work of the Lord is a very serious thing. And I don't want to, 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 to give that any less than it's due when I say that. But I also want you to know that the work of the Lord is a joyous work. There is joy in it. There is joy not just in the output, but there's joy in the work. Did you hear that? Not just a joy in the output, but a joy in the work. This stage isn't all the way done yet. And I want you to know, I think it's an awesome thing. It's just going to get more awesome as it gets finished and all those things. But I want you to know the joy that I take from this stage isn't what's finished here or almost finished here. The joy that I take from this stage is all the work that went into it. Yeah, I know it was tough. And, 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 and Brother Jeff talked this morning in Sunday school about losing sleep over it. And it was hard. And we didn't know how it was all going to come together and all those sorts of things. But it's a joy to work on things for the Lord's cause. It's a joy to, to work hand in hand and arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder with brothers and with sisters who are sharing in the work. So there's joy then not just in the outcome, but there's joy in the work itself. And from time to time, in that seriousness, God gives us a moment to step back and with lightened hearts be able to revel in that joy and see that joy as something that can't be contained, but indeed one that is unspeakable and glorified in its nature that has a a contagion effect where it begins to spread not just to others who are around us, but to all nations who would praise and be glad and sing for joy. You ever been around people who are just downers? You know what I'm talking about. The Eeyores of life. We're being honest. I don't enjoy being around Eeyores very much. 
right? Why would you? I get around that person, I leave feeling a little worse. <laughs> I mean, those aren't people we desire to be around, is it? But when you're around somebody that, when you're around them, it seems that it's uplifting to you and your spirits are left a little higher. And, and, and you've spent time not just with that person, but because you spent time with that person, you spent time with the Lord. And because of that, you walk away and you say, you know what? I'm so glad that I spent that time there. Yes, it took a Saturday. Yes, it took an evening. Yes, it took whatever time it took. But it was time well spent. As it's elevated my heart, that I might then elevate others. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? I think sometimes we are guilty of making Christianity to be of so much work that we lose the joy in the work. Let me tell you about, let me turn to a parable real quick that Jesus told. It's found in the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew. It's a parable about salvation. But I think the nature of this also is revealing to us about how we respond when we find good things and how we, we act with them. Just, just one verse, Matthew 13, verse 44. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure that's hid in a field, in which when a man has found it, he hides it, and for joy thereof goes, and he sells all that he has, that he might buy that field. That's the entirety of this parable here, in which Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven. He's comparing salvation to a hidden treasure. And I want you to pick up on what's being said. He's saying it's like one who would go out in a field and would be searching for treasure. And as he was beginning to find it, and you think about what it would take to find treasure in a big field of dirt. There's some work inquired of that, isn't there? To find it. But when they would find it, that they would quickly hide it again, that it might be preserved. Well, they go and sell all that they have and for joy come again that they might buy that field where that treasure is hid. Again, this is a parable regarding salvation. And lost friend, I hope that you hear it well, that when you have felt the convicting power of God upon your heart, drawing you unto Himself, it is not something to be shunned, but instead it's something to go and sell all that you have to obtain it. Listen, when you find a good thing, the only right response is to do what it takes to obtain it. Isn't it? I can just give you a very simple comparison. When a young man sets his heart upon a young lady and when she desires after her, he's willing to do whatever it takes to get her attention, isn't it? This is how little boys end up with broken arms. Right? They try to get little girls' attention. <laughs> this is why young men get in car accidents because they're driving too fast to get a young girl's attention, right? Doing whatever it takes to obtain the good thing that they have found. Listen, y'all, we have found something that is a far greater consequence than any of these things that we might look to in this world and say that they are good. How much more so than what should we, with joy, set out to obtain it? Do you see that? Yet somehow it seems that when it comes to these things, we have made ourselves like David, where we lose the joy of our salvation. Now David lost the joy of his salvation because of sin. 
And I want you to know that the chief thing that robs our joy with the Lord, it's sin. I'm going to say that again because that, that needs to set a hold on all of our hearts. The chief thing that robs our joy, that takes our joy from us, that we have in the Lord, is sin. And the problem with that is that sin does a really good job of masking itself as joy. As something that for a moment is going to give you some temporary pleasure or temporary uh, gratification or some uh, temporary happiness. But sin and, and the joy that it gives, it's always fleeting. It's never lasting. It always requires you to come back to that sin again and again and again to continue to experience that joy. That's why we say that sin will always take you further than you want to go. Why? Because it must for you to be able to obtain to the joy that sin promises. But what you'll find is that the joy that sin promises, it is never real. Do you hear that? The joy that sin promises, it is never real. I'm sorry for moving around so much. I haven't figured out how to work these poles on the new stage yet. I'm trying to figure out how to see everybody But the joy that sin promises, it's always fleeting and it's fake and it's artificial. But the joy that we find in the Lord, it's real and it's lasting and it's enduring. And it's a joy that is even there, even during the worst things of life. When you're left lonely and in despair and desperate and hurt, and anxious and depressed and all these feelings that the world will throw at us, you'll find that when joy is rooted and planted firmly in the Lord, that joy it is enduring even amidst all of that chaos and calamity. So then, what do we do? I think the parable tells us. It says, go and sell all that you have to obtain it. Now, this isn't a call, cry to go sell all your, all your stuff. That's not what this is. But it is to tell you to set your heart and your mind on the joy of the Lord. And if you've lost that joy because your heart's gotten cold, because you've gotten busy in the world, because you've gotten caught up in some sin, if it's just because you're, your heart's just gotten weary over the, the work of the Lord, because in, in well-doing you find yourself growing tired, go to the source of strength. Because behold, that same source of strength is the source of joy. And that same source of peace is the source of joy. And that same source of longing is the same source of joy. And that same source of community is that same source of joy. We find these things when we set our hearts, when we set our affections upon Christ. So let us all set our hearts upon this joy. I could get further into this psalm. For the sake of time, I will not. Well, let's go ahead and, and, and read it to conclude. He said, Let the people praise Thee, O God. Let all the people praise Thee. Then shall earth yield her increase. And God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. For what end? And all the ends of the earth shall fear Him. If you've ever read the Beatitudes, you know that this word, bless it has a very close relationship with happy or with happiness. When we find happiness in the Lord, 
It is what sets us and it sets our hearts to take that same joy, that same happiness, that same gladness to all the ends of the earth. It is what purposes in our hearts that others may seek and obtain what we have found. That they may also with joy go and seek that which can be found in Christ. And so it becomes then not just the ends of of experiencing the fullness of Christ in our hearts and the fullness of Christ in our lives, but it also becomes the ends or it becomes rather the means with which we are able to reach others. To reach those same people that I talked about earlier that we would otherwise scorn, that we would otherwise shun, that we would otherwise put off. When our hearts are set upon the joy of the Lord, we approach them very differently, don't we? When our hearts are set upon the joy of the Lord rather than what's uncomfortable for us. When our hearts are set upon the joy of the Lord rather than what might not fit our preferences or fit our prejudices. When our hearts are set upon the joy of the Lord, our attitudes towards others becomes, I want to help you experience and know real joy. And the only thing I know to do is to point you to the source who provides it. As I believe Brother Swindle said one time down at Old Union, He said, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. That's what we are, isn't it? We're beggars telling other beggars where they can find bread. We're folks who have found joy telling a lonely and depressed and joyless world where they can find joy. We're beggars who have found peace telling a world of of calamity, of destruction, of chaos where they can find peace. We're, a, we're, we're, we're people who have found community, who have found belonging, who are pointing others to that same community and belonging, who are looking forward to finding it in areas where all they are left with is shattered dreams and broken hearts. What our adversary has done such a good job doing is we retreat to our corners and our tribes and we make this thing a political divide and we wonder what the government's going to do about it. Or make this thing a race divide. Haven't you seen all these things? What's going on in our country? Where all this is just division on every hand. What I'm encouraging our hearts to today is that for joy, our hearts would set, be set on pointing others to the joy that is within us. <clears throat> Let me try to close. I want to read one more verse of Scripture, one more section of Scripture. It's found in the 15th chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 7. It says, Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister, a servant of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud him, all you people. Then again, Isaiah, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to, be, to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. Now listen to verse 13. And, and for those who are wondering, we're Gentiles in this equation. Alright? Now listen to verse 13. Says now the hope, excuse me, now the God of hope fill you with what? 
with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Flip over to just one chapter, to chapter 14. I want to read one verse here in chapter 14. Verse 17, Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. What is the kingdom of God then? But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Isn't that wonderful? Righteousness and peace and joy. I've obtained it. I who was once and in the flesh still am a dirty, rotten, no good at all sinner have found righteousness and peace and joy in Christ. And I can't but help but want to point other rotten, wretched, no good sinners to the same field in which I have found this treasure, to the same source in which I have found this righteousness that has replaced my righteousness where once filthy rags were, now has been imputed in its place the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That I might point them who have no peace to a peace that is enduring, a peace that surpasses all understanding, the Bible says, that we might point them to that peace and the source of that peace and that joy for which we would find ourselves to be able to rejoice and be glad and sing and lift up our voice. That we would point to others to that same source of joy. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for listening to me. Brother Corey, can we sing page 30? We'll sing page 30 here in a moment. Someone on your hearts while they're getting that song ready.